Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. This is another broadcast on the Theological Seminar of the Air. Our current study for the past several weeks has been pneumatology, the study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in previous lessons, we spent a great deal of time discussing the Spirit-filled life, the sins against the Holy Spirit of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, the so-called baptism of the Holy Ghost. And in this lesson, we shall discuss the more practical aspects of the Holy Spirit's work, which deal with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. It is very interesting to note that in our day and age, people are much more gift interested in handouts than they are labor. And this is manifest in two vital things in the Christian circuit. The vital truth that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what's needed in the world and not the gifts. And yet the people who continually talk about the Holy Ghost seem to be always concerned with the gifts of the Holy Ghost instead of the fruit. And strangely enough, when they talk about the fruit of the Holy Ghost, they omit the most important thing of all about the Holy Spirit's fruit, and that is love of God first and love of God's Word secondly. The modern counterfeit, uh, uh, counterfeit charismatic ecumenical movement placed the emphasis on the second commandment. And the love to neighbor and the love to the fellow Christian comes ahead of love for the Word of God. This love for the sinner ahead of the sinless Word of God is manifest by the fact that in order to get together with other sinners, the Word of God is stepped on. And this accounts for the numerous translations and revisions we have today which blaspheme the Holy Spirit and pervert the Word of God. The surest way to spot the man who is the Christian communist that is, the humanist who puts the second command ahead of the first, is by his attitude toward the written words of God. Christ said, if a man loved me, he'll keep my words. If a man loved me, he'll keep my words. So all the nonsense about loving God and the proof of this being this love for God being the fact that they love each other is just some more socialistic, communistic, humanistic claptrap. Uh, if a man loves God, he'll keep God's words, and if he loves Christ, he'll keep Christ's words. And love for God without a love for God's word is an unknown and unheard of quantum in the Bible. It's an unknown experience that's only manifest in modern Christianity. The 20th century Laodicean Church, uh, uh, 20th century Laodicean Church, that is the apostate fundamental church, is the only church in the world who has ever been able to pull off the... Uh, sucker's pitch, that a man can love God while rejecting what God said. Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken is better than the fat of rams. Christ said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not, and if a man love me, he will keep my words. Therefore, we find these people talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit and supposedly manifesting love. One must be careful to remember they are never referring to a biblical love or a spiritual love. They are referring to the Dale Carnegie type of love, the tremendous Jones type of love, that manifests itself in smooth, slick, kind talk, backslapping, handshaking, hugging, physical love, and not offending somebody by keeping their mouth shut about sound doctrine. The modern humanistic movement among fundamentalists is a liberal movement. And the apostate fundamentalists, so well represented by many faculty members at Christian schools these days, takes the liberal approach to authority, even though they profess to believe in the fundamentals of the faith. In bows of uh, so-called fundamental congresses up and down the United States and fundamentalist movements, where they get together and state what they believe, their attitude toward authority is the attitude of the Christ-rejecting liberal. 
they have no authority. Now, the way these uh, scriptural freaks get around authority is by pretending that somewhere at some time God wrote a book that was infallible and authoritative, but since nobody has it and nobody can find it, nobody can read it, then what? And the answer is, then what is every man is his own authority, or every school is its own authority, or every man who thinks he's an authority is left to argue with every other man who thinks he's an authority. They have anarchy. This is the position of the liberal. And wherever liberal modernistic churches come into a place, it is followed by race revolution, fornication, mugging. For your latest report, see Africa where the National Council of Churches have been working years over there, sending money over there to help the poor minorities and fostering one of the most terrible, bloody civil wars in the history of that nation. Now, this is all relevant to our subject today because our subject today shows the Christian the difference between the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that is what the Holy Ghost actually does in the life of the born-again believer, and the gifts of the Spirit, the special gifts given to the body of Christ, many of which are apostolic signs given to Israel. And we say this is relevant to what we're talking about because the modern charismatic ecumenical movement, the movement to cross denominational lines and bring the Christian back into slavery to himself or to his physical experience or emotional experience, is a movement to make a humanist out of the Christian and get him to accept man's authority over the authority of God. So it's very relevant. These people who constantly emphasize the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the humanists who have rejected the authority of the Holy Spirit, and their lives are fruitless. What they think is the fruit of the Spirit love is merely the humanistic tendencies of the apostate liberal toward the ecumenical movement. There's an obvious difference between the work and fruit of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit is the direct result of the Spirit's active ministry in the life of the believer. Or as Paul says, it is God that worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. The fruit of the Spirit is the outcome of his indwelling and our yielding to him. Notice that Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 to 23, gives us a very sharp contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh listed in Galatians 5, there are 17 of them, are the natural outcome of the Adamic nature. The fruit of the Spirit is the result of the Holy Ghost operating in the new life. The fruit of the Spirit, and there are nine fruits given, is spoken of in the singular, not the fruits, plural, but the fruit of the Spirit, signifying the oneness of the fruit. It is not complete until all nine are present. The Christian is not complete unless he manifests all nine graces or fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, first of all, we'll discuss the fruit of the Holy Spirit on this broadcast. On the next broadcast, we'll discuss the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Quite naturally, the apostate fundamentalist is more interested in the gifts than he is the fruit. Because, after all, the gifts are something he can brag about and show off and pretend he's spiritual with while disobeying the Word of God. For a real uh, uh view of this, one should go to some great big convention like the one in Kansas City this year and uh, meet with these people who have 15 different versions of the Bible, none of which they know or can use in soul winning, and watch them carry on with the humanistic love of any unsaved bunch of people out in California, in Hollywood, 
without any reference to obedience or authority. They have no authority but their own emotions. We'll talk about this on our next broadcast when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, being very careful, of course, to delineate between those gifts that are still active in the body of Christ and those gifts that were given as a sign to Israel. One must ever forget, if one is going to pay any attention to what the Holy Spirit said at all, and the humanist apostate fundamentalist always has a great deal to say about the Spirit leading him and telling him things, and yet very little to say about what the Holy Spirit said in the Bible. We're going to be very careful to delineate between those things that take place in relation to Israel and those things that take place in this age. And we say this because you should be very careful to note that the signs are for Israel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, and tongues are for a sign to Israel, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 22. The Jews seek for a sign because their nation begins with a sign, Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. Therefore, they have a right to see the signs. And this is why the apostolic uh, followers of Jesus Christ, the twelve apostles, who were all pork-abstaining, Sabbath-observing, temple-worshipping, bearded, circumcised Jews, received the signs of Mark 16 to minister to Israel. So we'll be very careful when we begin to study the gifts of the Holy Spirit and never make the foolish and wicked mistake of trying to say that all these gifts are still active in the church today when the Holy Spirit himself, who wrote the book and gave the gifts and gave the signs, told you that they weren't. I mean, this is typical of the bomb-doodle, bomb-foozled, flab-gazzled, bomb-boozled type of exposition we get from the modern apostate fundamentalist. He said they're all still manifest because Jesus Christ was saying yesterday and day and forever. What that has to do with the gifts of the Holy Spirit is past finding out, son. The context of Jesus Christ was saying yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews 13 has no connection with the gift of the Holy Spirit within ten chapters of anything in the verse. Now, just to show you how gullible people are, I mean, when you say gullible people, it means these professing Christians. Just to show how gullible they are. They will go up and down this country and lift all the money you've got off your hands on a, on a praise the Lord cycle or something, and take everything but your shirt off your back with a lot of rapping and humanistic liberal nonsense and a lot of lovey-dovey, pack-you-on-the-back, hug-you-honey business, and those rascals haven't produced one man in this century who can walk on water. Jesus Christ walked on water. Now, what do you mean, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the works that I do, these shall he do greater? Any of you nuts out there listening to me think I'm a big enough nut to believe that you can walk on water? Or that your preacher can? Or that any healer you've wasted $10,000 on can? Why, the biggest fool in this world is a man who write out a check for $1,000 and send him to some program, one of these rascals, just because the fellow packed him on the back and makes him feel good. You know what you are? You're a liberal. And the fact that you may be saved has nothing to do with your practical theology. You're a humanistic liberal in your attitude toward authority, because if you believe the authority of God, you wouldn't support Satan with your income. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you healers out there ever took a man, got him out of the graveyard after been buried for four days? You say, over New Guinea, I've got the documented account. Nobody did it. Don't hammer that stuff. 
Don't run overseas and come back and print a big, pretty newspaper with all the folks together that you put in by taking a bunch of photographs and sticking together that had to do with somebody else's meeting. See, don't fool us old stags that have been out in the mountain ranges 27 years before we got saved. You go fool somebody else. Jesus Christ the same yesterday and day and forever. Does that mean all the signs and the apostolic gifts are still practiced in the church today? Boy, son, you don't read much Bible, do you? The signs of Israel and at the end of the book of Acts, Israel is set aside. Did you read Acts 28? Isn't it amazing how these people that die and go to hell in Acts chapter 2 never get to Acts 28? Isn't that strange? Isn't it strange how these people that quote always about the manifestation of the gifts, the manifestation of the gifts, don't know who gave the gifts or what the gifts are for or whether to be applied? They must, be in cons they must be consorting with some very peculiar kind of spirit. All right, now speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22-23 lists the nine graces as a single unit, the fruit singular of the Spirit. Number one, love. Now this is divine love. According to 1 John 4, 16 and 1 Corinthians 13, it's an attribute of the indwelling God. This fruit of the Spirit love is manifest, first of all, by a love for God himself. We loved him because he first loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The first manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is a love for God. The second love is a love for God's word. Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my word. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, Wherefore, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. There is no such thing in the Bible from cover to cover as a Bible-believing Christian who is saved, who loves spiritual gifts and Pentecost, and doesn't love the words that God spoke in the Bible. There isn't any such thing. That modern love is a demoniac love. You cannot love God without loving his word. You cannot love his word without loving God. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word was God. Jesus Christ was the word of God incarnate in the flesh, and the Bible is the word of God in print where you can get it. And when you find these people altering that King James Bible in, Bible in 30,000 places, like they're altered in the RV and ASV, and 36,000 places like the new ASV and the new RSV, and 45,000 places, like the so-called Living Bible, you're not dealing with people who know anything about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives a man a love for God's Word, and I don't mean a paraphrase of distorted truth. All right, the third way that love is manifest in the life of the believer is the love for God's people. The Bible says here, and you shall men know you to my disciples, and that you love one another. That's one of the ways we know we're saved. We know we have eternal life because we love the brethren. Now, these people who profess to love the brethren have so much love, it's a strange thing about them, they don't profess to have eternal life. Isn't it strange? Isn't it strange when a man rejects the authority of the Word of God, no matter how smart he is or spiritual he is, he turns out to be demon-possessed before he gets through? Isn't it strange? Here's a man who says, well, Ruckman doesn't have enough love, and if somebody doesn't show enough love, we ought to have more love and love the brethren, ignore these little doctrinal differences, and show our love for each other and show the world by our love. But the verse said, 
we know we have passed, past tense from death to life because we love the brethren. Eighty percent of these people don't know whether they've passed from death to life or not. Obviously, they love they have is a humanistic love and has nothing to do with the fruit of the Holy Ghost. The second fruit of the Spirit is joy. Now, this is not the so-called happiness of this world, what they call fun, but a deep, deep gladness, Philippians 4, 4, that goes through trials and comes out on top. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You can have more joy as a child of God in adverse circumstances than you can have in the world when you're prosperous. And this explains why many movie stars blow the brains out or dope themselves to death. This explains why many millionaires committed suicide. He had fun, but he had no joy. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Peace. This is the peace of God that passes all understanding. It satisfies the soul completely. Notice especially in regards to this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. And he says, while you're in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but you're going to have peace throughout it. You'd think in a generation of people that are sex-obsessional neurotics and apostate fundamentalists, you think a bunch of bunch of people who have no peace of mind and no peace of heart, you'd think somebody would be interested in getting the peace of the Holy Spirit, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Joshua Liebman wrote a book called Peace of Mind, and Fulton Sheen wrote one called uh, uh, Peace of Soul, and Billy Graham wrote one called Peace with God, and the Bible said, having made peace through the blood of his cross, he sat on the right hand of God. Now, this is another way we spot the modern apostate fundamentalist, the charismatic, ecumenical, communistic, humanistic liberal, by the fact that he has no assurance of salvation. Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. If you are saved and have eternal life and the Holy Spirit's in you, you know you're saved, you have peace about it, and you don't worry about it. The people that worry about it are fooling with some other spirit. The next fruit of the Holy Spirit is long-suffering, what we call patience. The natural man is impatient. The new man, the new nature in the Christian is like the Lord, long-suffering. The next manifestation is gentleness, kindness, or graciousness. Jesus was known by his kindness or graciousness. Notice this gentleness here doesn't have to do with being yellow or being a coward. It has nothing to do with being uh, not being harsh in speech. It was the gentle Jesus who said, You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? It was the gentle Jesus who said, Ye of your father devil, the lust of your father you will do. It was the gentle Jesus that said, Which of you convinced me of sin? And because I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word. You hear them not because you're not of God. It was the gentle Jesus who said, You're like whited sepulchres that appear outwardly righteous on a man, but are full of dead men's bones and hypocrisy. And it was the gentle Jesus that said, Depart from you, cursed and everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Therefore, when we read about gentleness or meekness, we have no reference here at all in the passage to somebody bowing down and somebody stepping all over them. We have this thing, this attribute manifest where it's needed. Notice how gently Jesus Christ deals with the woman of Samaria and how rough he is with Nicodemus. Did you notice that? Did you notice how gentle he was with Mary Magdalene and how rough he was with Caiaphas? I suppose you noticed that, didn't you? Did you notice how gentle he was with that woman who came and washed his feet with her tears and hair and how rough he was on his host who sat down at the dinner table with him? The next fruit of the Holy Spirit is goodness. This virtue makes the Christian full of good works. 
And the Bible said about the Christian, he should be careful to maintain good works. He doesn't work to get saved. He doesn't work to stay saved. But he works because he is saved. The next fruit of the Spirit, number seven, is meekness. Meekness. Meekness and mildness of temper. He is humble. And this should be true of us in 2 Timothy chapter 2.25. Notice again this meekness or mildness of temper has nothing to do with always being meek. It was the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, that went into the tabernacle, the temple, and kicked over the tables and knocked the money on the floor and beat the people with a whip. It was the meek Lord Jesus Christ that uh, said when he came again, he'd uh, cast his enemies into a lake of fire. Mildness of temper simply means you don't lose it. It simply means righteous indignation is all right, but you don't fly off the handle every time something shows up. Temperance. The ninth fruit is self-control. The Christian is moderate in drink, moderate in appetite, moderate in dress, moderate in habit and fashion. Now, these nine fruits of the Holy Spirit are all opposite or contrary to the filthy natural works of the flesh, which are listed previously in Galatians 5. Fruit is an evidence of death. There can be no fruit of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer until the believer is dead. John 12:24. except the corn of wheat uh, fall on the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. If we're not dead, we will merely bring forth the works of the flesh. Therefore, fruit is the evidence that the self in the life of the believer has been crucified, and the believer is living a crucified life to the glory of God. Many of you people are fruitless because self has not been crucified, so you continue to abide alone without fruit. Our churches are filled with fruitless, powerless Christians. They go to church, they tithe, they come to the altar, they blubber in tongues, they roll around and holler and scream and talk about love, 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 love. And the lifetime from them for 25 years, they can't put their hand on 10 people they've led to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The churches are filled with them. Our churches are filled with people that blubber and raise their hands, singing hallelujah, 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 and rap for the world like they rap for the saved people and afraid to open their mouth in a pinch. And in 25 years of Christian life, there isn't one place where they've ever taken a public stand that would hurt their income. They are fruitless, powerless, selfish, depraved, carnal Christians, and they know nothing about the fruit of the Holy Ghost at all. That's why they like to talk about the gifts. Because they're dead trees with no fruit. Did you ever see a Christmas tree in the living room, decorated? Isn't it a beautiful thing? You know what's wrong with that tree with those gifts hanging all over it? It's dead. The most charismatic tree in the world, the most gifted tree in the world, is a Christmas tree. It's dead. Now, fruit is necessary. In John 15, 2, Jesus said, Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. In Luke 13, 9, If it bear fruit well, and if it not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. The only reason for our existence here on this earth, brethren, after conversion, is to bear fruit. Paul said one time, I have a depart to desire and be with Christ, which is far better. And he said, It is more needful for me to abide in the flesh and the reason why was to bear fruit among the Gentiles. There is any Christian listening to my voice that will not grant or allow that God could take you home this minute if he wanted to take you home. If he hasn't, let's ask you something. If he has not, 
what is the purpose of your being on this earth? Just to take up space? I asked some man what his son was taking at college this year, and he said space. The only reason for our existence after conversion is to bear fruit to the glory of God. The fruitless cannot long enjoy the privileges of the fruitful. Fruitlessness and favor with God cannot live together. In Luke 13, 7, the husbandman came, and he said, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit, and he couldn't find any, so he said, Cut that thing down. In James 5, 7, we read, The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ is waiting for true fruit from our lives, and the true fruit is in Galatians 5, 22, never Acts 2, never 1 Corinthians 14, and never Mark 16. Not once. Fruit affords identification. In Matthew 12, 33, Jesus said, The tree is known by his fruit, not the gifts. The gifts can be counterfeited. You can't counterfeit the fruit. You can't bear fruit without the root. The tree is not known by its tongues or its emotional experiences or its doctrines on baptism. The tree is known by its fruit. In Numbers 13.26, the spies showed the fruit of Canaan to prove that it was a good land. In the New Testament, the saints portray the proper fruit, showing that he has been born again. Never the gifts. Appearance and profession are good, but the vital evidence is the fruit. To identify whether a tree is a mango or an apple, whether he's a saint, or merely a charismatic apostate. In Matthew 7, 16 to 20, grapes do not bear figs, thistles do not bear, and thorns. Saints ought not to bear any of the works of the flesh. We realize that very often our lives are a paradox of cursing and blessing, sweetness and bitterness, but James says these things ought not to be so. Uh, the source of the fruit is in Hosea chapter 14, 8. The source of the fruit is found in John 15, 4. The saint abounds in fruit as long as he is rooted and grounded in Christ and the Word of God. Ephesians 3, 17 to 18. The Word of God put in the ground in Matthew 13 was what brought forth the fruit. The Word of God. And when the Word of God is rejected, the Christian is a dead, fruitless, barren tree. The seed is the fruit. Fruit is the source of propagation. The Lord said, Let the earth bring forth the fruit tree, yielding fruit after his kind. If you're a Christian, you ought to produce Christians. If you're a pastor, you ought to produce pastors. If you're a Bible teacher, you ought to produce Bible teachers. If you're a preacher, you ought to produce preachers. Or as Paul says in Colossians 1.10, being fruitful in every good work and increasing. Rather than being a blessing, our lives become a hindrance to the gospel when we don't bear spiritual fruit. If there's no spiritual fruit in our lives, we cannot reproduce. Have we reproduced? Have you reproduced? Can you put your hand on five people in your town that you've led to Christ, and each one of them has led at least one soul to Christ? Can you do that? If you had to stand before the judgment seat of Christ tonight, could you put your hand on five people that were saved and born again through your personal witness that have led other people to Christ since you led them to Christ? Well, if you can't, don't let me, don't let me ever hear you open your mouth about the apostolic signs and the gifts and all this charismatic claptrap. You're not in our league. You're down there in the little league and the pony league. You stay down there in the minors where you belong. You're liable to get hit with a ball bat out here in the field. All right. Now, next week, we'll be talking about the gifts of the Spirit. On this broadcast, we've talked about the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Our next broadcast will deal mainly with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul is addressing the most carnal, fleshy church in the New Testament 
and talking about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit.